You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. What's something you learned in history class that you feel like wasn't the whole truth? Better yet, what's something you didn't learn at all that was omitted completely? That's what I like to call redacted history. My name is Andre White, the host of the Redacted History Podcast, the place where history's forgotten events, heroes, and villains get their story told, one episode at a time. The Redacted History Podcast. Real history never dies. Stream the Redacted History Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Today, George Washington and Abraham Lincoln are often seen to be as serious and solemn as their carved faces on Mount Rushmore suggest. But though both presidents presided over important eras in American history, each had another side that the history books often skip over. The image of George Washington, for example, as the president who could not tell a lie, who cut down a cherry tree and had wooden teeth, doesn't exactly accurately represent who he really was. For starters, his teeth weren't even made of wood, and though he famously led troops in the battle for American independence, he actually lost more battles than he won in his military career. The same goes for Abraham Lincoln. Before he became the president who steered the United States through the Civil War, he had more success as a wrestler than a politician, and once nearly got into a duel with broadswords after mocking the Illinois state auditor. Behind his careworn face, Lincoln had a sharp sense of humor and a love for animals, especially cats. These presidents may be best known for their accomplishments in the face of adversity, but they definitely had a lighter side. Washington and Lincoln, often remembered to be as stoic as their statues across the nation, were, after all, human at heart. You're listening to History Uncovered, brought to you by the digital publisher All That's Interesting, where we explore the uncharted corners of the natural world in the world past. I'm All That's Interesting staff writer Kalina Fraga. And I'm All That's Interesting staff writer Austin Harvey. Today, we're pulling back the curtain on two of the most famous American presidents, George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. Well, when it comes to George Washington and Abraham Lincoln, there is probably a couple of facts. I'll put big quotes around those facts that people know about them um, that we'll discuss now. One thing for Washington is this idea that he had terrible teeth and that his dentures were made of wood. But that's not the whole story, is it? (laughs) Right. He did have bad teeth. That's true. Do you know why he had to get dentures in the first place? He had terrible, yeah, he's had terrible problems with his teeth. And he really tried to, like, take care of them. But I guess... In the 18th century, that was easier said than done. I think by the time in his 20s, he'd lost a lot of teeth. He'd had painful surgeries. When he became president, he only had one real tooth left. He's had horrible, horrible luck with his teeth. Yeah. Apparently, one of the big things that ruined his teeth was that he would use them to crack open walnut shells. Ugh. <laughs> <Yikes>. <laughs> Not, uh, you know, disclaimer, get a nutcracker because mm-hmm. obviously not something that's good for your teeth. But yeah, yeah. then in addition to just a million other things and just living in the time he did, had no teeth. So he did have dentures. They were not made of wood. They were made out of a weird combination of gold, <laughs> ivory, carved animal bones, and then actual human teeth mostly purchased mm. from African-American slaves. Yeah. Which like, is gross. Like beyond gruesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> awful. I don't like the idea of real tooth dentures. Like when people get real hair extensions, like that's, fine i don't Uh want like another person's tooth in my mouth yeah 
It's interesting. I guess back in the day, like dentists would go and they'd buy teeth. You know, people who were poor would sell their teeth too. And then when they went to their patients, they could be like, I have all these sizes and colors and like, yeah, I'll fit you them. Yeah, really to customize your, your teeth. mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the idea. Yeah. It's pretty cool. It was gross, like having though. a grill, but the old school version of it. Yeah. I think some of Washington's dentures are at Mount Vernon still. I think they old, are. Yeah. Um, plantation. Yeah. I saw a picture yeah. of one of the pairs and they are. I mean, they're not good looking still even. Yeah, they look pretty uncomfortable. And I know yeah. that he found them to be very uncomfortable he and did. he was like very self-conscious about them. And yeah, that was apparently yeah. one of the reasons that he just like never smiled was because he just did not mm-hmm. like the dentures. And then yeah. I also found out that in the mornings he would eat hoe cakes with syrup, which is just cornmeal pancakes. <laughs> but he would have his mm-hmm. servants cut them up into like really tiny pieces so that they'd be easier for him to chew. Oh, wow. Which makes or, sense. I mean, I say chew lightly. I'd imagine if they're coated enough syrup, they kind of just melt onto your tongue at a certain point. Yeah. So, yeah, that sounds pretty awful. Take care yeah. of your teeth. I mean, Modern dentistry is a lot better, but still take care of your teeth. Yeah. <laughs> like, Very important. <laughs> if you take anything from this podcast episode, it's take care of your Go teeth. Go to the dentist. Go to the dentist. Yeah. But you had some stuff about Lincoln, about, particularly about his beard. Yes. Which well, I'm curious I, about. Yeah. I mean, it's the same kind of thing with Washington where like if there's one thing you know about Lincoln, it's that he has a beard. But there's kind of a cute story behind it. You know, like with anything, they're sort of like, is this the reason why he grew the beard? But the story is that when he was running for president in 1860, this little girl wrote him a letter. She was 11. And she said that if he lets his whiskers grow, she'll get everyone to vote for him. And he has a really thin face. She thinks that having a beard would help. And she said she thinks that all the ladies like whiskers and they would tease their husbands to vote for you. And then you would be president. And Lincoln actually responded to her letter, and he he said, uh, as to the whiskers, having never worn any, do you not think people would call it a piece of silly affection if I were to begin it now? But he did grow beard, and like whether or not that was the reason why, like he famously oh, had a funny. beard, and he was the first. Like there were a couple of like sideburns on presidents before Lincoln, but he was the first one to like rock a beard, and then it became a thing for a long time afterwards. For the next like fifty years, almost everyone had beards. Yeah, I guess I never thought about that. I don't remember the last time I've looked at a. You know, they used to hand out those like rulers with the timeline of the presidents. I yes, don't remember the last time I looked at one of those. But yeah, I guess I, it never stuck out to me that Lincoln would have been like one of the first or, or the first to have a beard. Yeah, and I feel like we've kind of yeah, gone back was. on it now. Like, when's the la- who's the last president to have a beard? So the last person to have facial hair was Harry Truman, but he had one. It was very briefly. He had a mustache after winning in 1948. But most presidents in the 20th century have been clean shaven. I think I think Taft was the last one to have like a beard beard. And that was in the 1910s. And now a small correction by Kalina. Taft actually just had a really fantastic mustache. So the last president to have a beard beard was Benjamin Harrison at the end of the uh, 19th century. So it's been a minute. The Box of Oddities is a Webby award-winning podcast that explores a world that's strange, bizarre, and sometimes hilarious. Married couple Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth bring their irreverent brand of humor and unique chemistry to unusual topics that range from medical oddities to abandoned funeral homes to unexplained paranormal phenomena. With nearly 30 million downloads since its launch in 2018, The Box of Oddities has become a rapidly growing community of people who share an interest in the stranger side of life. In each episode, Kat and Jethro bring an independently picked true topic to surprise each other with. 
often bizarre, shocking, or just plain weird, these topics are certainly always interesting. As late-night host Jimmy Kimmel said, should you be the type who has interest in weird stuff, this is a fun thing to allow in your head. Go listen to The Box of Oddities wherever you get your podcasts. Now, this was fun to look into because, like you said, you're more of a fan of presidential history. I am, yeah. I am, in general, just not a fan of American history. It's just not something that ever mm. really sticks out to me. So I didn't know much of anything going into this. So when I learned all this stuff about George Washington, I was like, oh, that actually is neat. And I, the thing I think I forget the most, because modern politicians are so... They're like, you know, they're career politicians 90% of the time. And so you start to look into their past and it's like, okay, well, when he was 25, he did this thing and ran for local whatever. And it turned into Mm -hmm. now they're the president. Back in the day, like Washington was just a dude. He was a farmer and he was a soldier. And then uh, apparently after he stopped being president, he just got really into farming again. And this is where I found out like he loved breeding animals. He did. Which is so interesting. And the variety of animals that he bred, too. Apparently, um, from what I gathered, Washington is often credited by historians as America's first mule breeder. And they think Mm, that his stock was like the start of the stock that most of the South operated with in his Mm. time. Oh, wow. Which is wild to think that. I, I don't know. It's just really interesting that I, I would just give up at a certain point of doing things. I'd be like, I've done enough stuff. And he's like, I feel no, like he I'm was gonna... like, he was like, finally, I can be a farmer and like yeah. leave, you know, a politics behind. He was so happy. I've been to Mount Vernon and it's, you know, it's huge and he has everything set up for crops and animals. And yeah, that was his like, that was his passion. I think he was really yeah. happy to go back to that life. Yeah. Yeah. He was, yeah, breeding all these mules at Mountain Vernon. He also had a ton of bird species. Like he had canaries, green parrots, cockatoos. Uh, the jury's out, but some people say there's evidence to suggest he had a pet goldfish. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> the, ju- yeah. the jury's out about that. That's interesting. The jury's out. <laughs> they, yeah. The, it, everything I found said there's evidence that suggests he had a pet goldfish. Oh, wow. Which next time I go to Mount Vernon, I'll try to like stump them with that question. I'm did, curious. Did like, Washington have what's goldfish? What's the evidence? Like a bowl? <laughs> like a fish bowl? Yeah, I'm curious too. There must be some reference to it in like letters or something. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But above all else, I think I, I, I'm cautious to say Washington was a fan of dogs, um, and I'll hmm. get into that in a minute. He liked breeding hunting dogs. I know that. Uh, the American Kennel Club cited him as the father of the American foxhound, so that speaks to itself. Yeah. They think he also influenced the creation of the blue tick coonhound, the American English coonhound, and the treeing walker coonhound on his quote-unquote wow. quest for a superior dog. But he also was a bit of an elitist <laughs> and so <A> bit. <laughs> he, he liked yeah a bit he didn't like mixed breed dogs mm. he had a lot of purebreds he had dalmatians foxhounds french hounds uh greyhounds italian greyhounds mastiffs newfoundlands pointer spaniels terriers all these dogs did not like mixed breed dogs and he wasn't exactly kind in his approach to dogs oh. that he didn't like Puppies that didn't live up to his standards, he just didn't keep, which is one of the the nicer things he did. Oh, I found one story. He was convinced that his slaves' dogs were killing his sheep, and so he ordered 
almost all of the dogs to be hanged. What? Oh, that's horrible. Yeah. Which, I mean... Also really dramatic. Euthanasia aside, right, like they hanging had, like, them? Guns. Right. Yeah, that's awful. Or giving them away? Yeah. I don't know. There were solutions right. he could have found. Yeah, he apparently also drowned some. Oh, God. <laughs> so, yeah, that's why I was hesitant oh. to say he liked dogs, but he had a lot of them. Well, Lincoln was totally different because he <laughs> loved animals. <laughs> Actually loved them, not... Um, yeah, he did. He, um, you know, he had, like, he had sons and in the White House, um, they had a lot of pets. They had cats, dogs, rabbits, turkeys, horses, and goats. Lincoln was the first president to make a portrait of his dog, Fido. So that's something we all do now, but Lincoln yeah, was the George first. George Bush, not that original. Right. <laughs> yeah. And Lincoln loved cats. He would like hold them for like 30 minutes and just like talk to them. And there was this one famous anecdote where he was at a dinner at the White House and one of their cats jumped up on the table and he fed it with a fork. And his wife was so like, don't do that. Don't feed the cat at the table. And Lincoln said, if this gold fork was like good enough for James Buchanan, who was his predecessor, then it's good enough for Tabby. So he was a big a big animal fan. I like that. I like that. That's nice. Yeah. There's also, it's like moving towards another point, but um, his he always kind of let his sons do whatever they wanted and was very lenient with them, especially his son, Tad, because um, his, his older son, Willie, died in the White House. So Tad could kind of get away with anything he wanted. But at one point, um, someone sent the family a turkey for Christmas dinner and Tad like just fell in love with the turkey. And when Lincoln was like, we have to kill it and eat it you know for the, someone sent it to us to eat tad said he's a he's a very good turkey and i don't want him killed so lincoln wrote like a basically a, a pardon for the turkey and he remained a pet in the lincoln white house oh that's um, fun. for at least a year after that yeah so like the pardoning of the turkey tradition technically didn't start with lincoln like it sort of came later with other presidents but yeah it's got its roots there though yeah 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 exactly yeah that's that awesome. a cute right? cute story yeah I do the same thing. Not, not. I don't pardon turkeys. I feed the dogs <laughs> with a fork, and now I, they oh. have learned bad habits. So, oh, wow. But I, but that's the kind of that's the kind of tomfoolery I respect in my presidents. Mm, yeah. 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 I like that better than than getting rid of unwanted dogs. I'd rather have them yeah. feed cats with forks. Yeah. You gotta love a, a good man who who loves his animals. Yeah. Yeah, and Lincoln really did seem to. Tons of animals in the Lincoln White House. Are there any other presidents who like famously had pets? Oh yeah, I mean, he would Thomas know more Jefferson than I would. Had, like, yeah, a lot of them did. I mean, Thomas Jefferson had a ton of animals, and they all had really cool names. I can't remember, but he had horses with cool names and like songbirds, and you know, like in the '90s, Bill Clinton had a cat, and yeah, like you said, Bush had the dog, and I yeah. think most presidents have had a pet. Yeah, I didn't know if they. I like. I know. Um, in England, the Queen was big with the mm. corgis. The corgis. So I didn't know if there, yeah, yeah I, I didn't know if there was an American equivalent of like Teddy Roosevelt had famous cockatrice. Um, I was <laughs> there was a I guess in the 1920s, uh, someone sent the Coolidge Calvin Coolidge and his family a raccoon to be eaten, and they instead oh. adopted it. Its name was Rebecca. <laughs> That's and there are photos of the first lady like holding the raccoon. I think it I think it might have been at the Easter egg roll. But anyway, she's holding the raccoon and like the raccoon has a little leash that's just like in her arms. And oh, I love that. It did bite Calvin Coolidge at one point, which I think maybe was sent away after that. 
But yeah, pet raccoon. Did people eat mm-hmm. raccoons? Was that a thing? I think this raccoon came from like the Midwest and maybe it was more of a thing oh, so there. It's a thing in the Midwest. Got it. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think it might have been. I don't want to insult anyone from the Midwest, but. If you're listening to this and you're the from story. the Midwest, um, send us an email or an Instagram message confirming <laughs> or denying whether or not you still eat raccoons. <laughs> this is really yeah, important just, to me. That is important. I'm curious, too. <laughs> I just want to know. Maybe we'll find out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you interested in the parts of history that remain a mystery? Do you want to learn more about the historical myths and misconceptions used to prop up false beliefs today? The podcast Historical Blindness delves into all of these topics, sharing puzzling tales from the past and examining hoaxes, conspiracy theories, and misremembered events that provide insight into modern politics and religion. Find out what's real and what's not when it comes to famous conspiracy claims, like those surrounding the notorious assassinations of Martin Luther King Jr. and JFK, and secret societies like the Illuminati. Discover astonishing parallels to modern politics and consider some of the most outlandish claims about religion. What can the false claim that AIDS was a U.S. bioweapon tell us about the COVID lab leak hypothesis? Why do some people claim that all religion can be traced back to the ancient use of psychedelic mushrooms? Join host Nathan Lloyd as he attempts to shed some light on historical blind spots and fight the misinformation that permeates many people's historical worldview. Find and subscribe to Historical Blindness wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts or visit historicalblindness.com. Check out newer episodes first and then go back and binge the rest of the catalog. Another thing I appreciate in a president, a man who knows what he likes to drink. Yeah, I've heard that Washington was quite the quite the drinker. He was a boozy man. He, I, I did read he practiced moderation very well, so he was not... No one's saying George Washington was an alcoholic. <laughs> We're not saying uh-huh. that. We're just saying the guy enjoyed a drink. But I did not know that he actually had a distillery, and it was recreated in 2007, so you can you can go visit it today, and I think it's at Mount Vernon. What? So oh, if you happen to, to yeah, if you happen to go back, they sell Washington whiskey, which is hmm. apparently pretty good from what I read. I haven't tried it, oh. but I do like whiskey, oh, so I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, I'm curious too. I'm actually going to DC in a couple of weeks, so maybe I'll I'll go back back to Mount Vernon and <laughs> get some go. Washington whiskey. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, if you do, we have to do a follow up and and uh, see how the whiskey. <laughs> oh, is. definitely. Yeah. yeah, for sure. But this distillery he started. I think the funniest thing to me to to go on a mini tangent was we had a president who had a distillery, and then someone still proposed prohibition. Hmm. Just a little bit, one of those weird American ironies, but I've often found that like the presidents, the presidents who were like, "Oh, we're not drinking," like usually they were drinking. Oh, they the always scenes. were. Yeah, yeah. I feel like everyone who pushed for pro, I, I mean, I actually did a post for the website about speakeasies, and you can see all of the prohibition officers are sitting there drinking it. So it's like, mm. cool guys, great. There's <laughs> right. a reason it didn't work out. Yeah. <laughs> No one was on board. Um, I have another fact about Washington that I just remembered about his oh. drinking. 
Actually, yeah. at least at least it was teeth. He um, would drink Madeira wine so much that it would discolor his teeth, which is his dentures, which is why yeah. some people think they're made of wood because it looked it had the kind of veiny look like a right. like a piece of wood might have. Yeah, um, yeah. And his dentist even like got after him and was like, you have to stop drinking so much Madeira wine. It's staining these That's really dentures. Funny. Yeah. Yeah. Especially yeah, a big fan the, of that. If, if he had ivory and stuff, the grooves of it mm-hmm. would definitely stain. That's really funny. Yeah. Yeah. He was a he was a big drinker. Ironically, if he did have wooden teeth, it would have just been nothing but like helpful for this. Well, wouldn't the alcohol like eat away at the wood? I was going to say it'd probably soak into it. You'd get an even stronger <laughs> flavor out of it. You'd <laughs> have like the worst breath, I think. Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, he probably I'm going to venture to say he didn't have good breath still. That's probably true. If he had like rotten teeth and everything. Yeah. Yeah. But- Fact, some well, just some quick facts about this distillery. It opened in October 1797, and according to the 1810 census, the state of Virginia alone at that time had more than 3,600 distilleries, but Washington's was the biggest. Wow. 3,600? Yeah. In just wow. the state of Virginia. Yeah. Huh. But I wonder how many there are now, if there's more I'm, or less. I'm curious also. But so you think about that. There's 3,600 in Virginia. There were, you know, however many states there were in 1797. Washington's was the biggest in the country. Wow. So not even in just country? in Virginia. It was the biggest in the country. I wonder if there was like name recognition where people were like, oh, it's Washington's whiskey. Like, you oh, know, for sure. it was a glass for the president. Yeah, for um, sure. Well, when you hear how much he was able to produce, mm-hmm. it's... I mean, I, there had to be the novelty of it, at least in some capacity, because to paint a, to paint an image, most whiskey distilleries at the time were about 800 square feet. His was uh, 2,250, so nearly wow. three times as large as the other ones. Huh. Um, in 1799, his distillery produced 11,000 gallons of whiskey. Whoa. That netted him a profit of $7,500, which if you adjust for inflation and and bring it to modern currency, that is $120,000 in that year. Wow. Not bad. Yeah, it's not bad. Washington's, he knew what he was doing. I wonder why it closed. Yeah, I don't know. It sounds like it closed eventually and then reopened sort of recently. Yeah, it says they recreated it, so I'm not sure if it, well, I wonder, probably should have looked into this more. I'm curious if Prohibition had something to do with that. Yeah, or maybe something, like, maybe it could have been like the Civil War, too. It was just like oh, there yeah. weren't enough, you know. That's right, that did happen. That did happen. Yes. Yeah, it did. But yeah, it was a successful, on top of the farming, too. So he's he's out there making mules and Busy dogs. Guy. And you think, I? oh, man, it's probably not. But I'm curious if you trace back like the origins of the, of the cocktail, the mule, like a Kentucky mule or a Moscow mule or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's probably no relation to George Washington. <laughs> probably not. I think we need to make a history themed drink called the Washington mule. So it'd be whiskey and then something else. Yeah. A mule has ginger beer, but maybe you have to specifically use Washington oh, whiskey. Yeah. Washington whiskey, ginger beer. I feel like it should have like one other ingredient. There's usually like a splash of lime. How about a splash of Madeira? <laughs> there you go. From what you've put in our our little outline and what I've gathered here, Lincoln also had a, an alcohol-laced history before he was president. Sort of. So he, I, I, I dug into this a bit more and it's sort of interesting. He did own a store in Illinois with someone else that some people have said was also, they also served liquor. But it's sort of unclear if they if that happened when they coned it together or after Lincoln left. 
But Lincoln really wasn't a big drinker at all. He said that drinking made him feel flabby and undone. So he was not known to like really drink a whole lot. And one of his associates said that he'd seen Lincoln like lift up a barrel of whiskey and like pretend to drink from it, but never actually like drink. Okay, so, so he so he didn't enjoy drinking, but he did bartend. Maybe. Okay, um, maybe. He didn't seem to mind when like other people drank. There's a famous story about how when uh, uh, Ulysses S. Grant was the general of the Union Army, someone at the White House was saying, oh, you know, Grant's an alcoholic, which was true. And Lincoln said, you know, let me know what kind of whiskey Grant drinks and I'll send it to all the other commanders because Grant's winning wars. He's winning the war. And like if... <laughs> If it takes some whiskey, if it takes being drunk, then like fine. Fair enough. I'll do it. I'll send I'll send whiskey to everyone. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Lincoln wasn't a huge drinker himself. I like that term though, flabby and undone. Flabby and undone. I think it's a good be name the title for of my something. memoir. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good one, yeah. So yeah, Lincoln had no no great love for drinking. But he and Washington both had some experience with love in their lives. Yeah, Washington's romantic saga. This is, do you know anything about this before I get into the context? I think he might have like uh, courted someone. Is that the right word? And she chose someone else. But I don't, is that the story? That's, it's kind of the story. Um, Okay. You're not wrong. There's just more of a, uh, it's more of a nuance. Um, Weeks before his own wedding, Mm -hmm. Washington wrote a letter to to, uh, Yes, yes. His own wedding to Martha. Yeah. Um, he wrote a letter expressing his love, but not to her. Mm, he wrote it to um, a, a childhood friend named Sally Fairfax, who happened to be the wife of one of his best friends, George mm-hmm. Fairfax. Drama. Um, and I just I didn't. It's a it's a long letter and it's written in 1700s language. So there's a lot of commas and M dashes next to each other. But I took a mm-hmm. small snippet of it here. Uh, he wrote. You have drawn me, dear madam, or rather, have I drawn myself into an honest confession of a simple fact. Misconstrue not my meaning, tis obvious, doubt not, nor expose it. The world has no business to know the object of my love, declared in this manner to you when I want to conceal it. One thing above all things in this world I wish to know, and only one person of your acquaintance can solve me that, or guess my meaning. But adieu to this till happier times if I ever shall see them. Hmm. Which... Oh, Washington. Yeah, a lot of a lot of the letter reads like, in today's terms, it would be like, hey, Sally, <laughs> there's kind of someone I like. And and you know her. You know who she is. <laughs> you know her really but he well. Never, he never directly said it, but hmm. by the end of the Plausible letter, it's very clear. Yeah, exactly. But again, hmm. this was weeks before he was getting married. Uh, wow. So, and uh, to one of his best friend's wives. So, a hopeless romantic George so, Washington man. was. Maybe not so hopeless, but definitely uh, kind of casts some doubt on the whole I never tell a lie mm, facet right. of his personality as well. Um, yeah, I feel like I've read um, there's a really good book about Washington. It's on the ground somewhere. It's called You Never Forget Your First. And it's about Washington, but like kind of in a conversational it's written in a conversational way and it might have been this book but i think he like might have had like an affair with someone at one point while he was married but there's, there's not very much evidence and mr president i know I mean, setting the precedent for clinton there huh <laughs> and jfk yeah i think a and, couple of yeah. and like several others yeah <laughs> probably most of them 
A lot of them had little uh, little affairs. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, uh, the, I tried to see if I could find out anything about um, when George met Sally, but all I could find <laughs> was that they were. Uh, I just watched she, that movie for the first time. When Harry met Sally. Yeah. Great movie. It's a great movie. Yeah. Yeah, George George and Sally met. He was um, a teenager. That's all I could find. A lot of historians have said he was a very awkward teenager, and they mm. credit Sally with kind of teaching him how to uh, engage socially with, with wealthy and powerful people because him being a young, humble farmer, not knowing how to engage in these kind of high society situations. She was the person who introduced him to that. And apparently hmm. his love just never just never faded. Wow. Well, I guess he used what she taught him because Martha Washington was a very wealthy widow and that worked out. Yeah. In the end. So good on you, George. <laughs> yeah. Well, Lincoln had had a couple of love affairs before his marriage to Mary. I think an interesting thing about Mary Lincoln is that she was not liked in her life especially by people who loved Lincoln. So any history about him by his friends often like treats her pretty poorly. And there's even, I'm pretty sure I read this somewhere that, you know, she's always referred to as Mary Todd Lincoln, but she never went by that in her life. She always went by Mary Lincoln. So they added oh. her like made a name as a way to, but anyway, so when Lincoln was a young man, he, there were like two women he fell in love with. And one of them, Anne Rutledge died, got sick and died. And Lincoln was so depressed that he would like wander around the woods with a rifle and his oh, friends were like very concerned about him because <laughs> he was a very like people say melancholy uh type guy and so like this didn't did not help um his low moods but so I, I said all that about mary lincoln because there's some interesting anecdotes that came out when they got married one of lincoln's friends claims that lincoln said that he thought he did not love her as he should and he would do her a great wrong if he married her and he told someone else, it would just kill me to marry Mary Todd. Probably the worst, though, is that as he was getting dressed for the wedding, someone asked him where he was going. And he said, I guess I'm going to hell. Oh, my God. So, <laughs> Why did they but get there's married? there's like other evidence, too. Well, there's I, I, I don't know if this is evidence exactly, but their son was born like almost exactly nine months later. So there's like some speculation that they kind of had to get married. But, you know, it's like she was she was a difficult person and she had a temper and could be a lot to handle. But she was very, you know, supportive of him. Throughout his life, George Washington had so many health problems. I mm. mean, beyond his teeth. He had um, diphtheria, tuberculosis, smallpox, malaria, dysentery, quincy, carbuncle, and pneumonia. All the mm. different points in his life. None of them took him out. He was fine. Yeah. And if I've learned anything from playing the Oregon Trail, dysentery can knock you down real fast. <laughs> Sure can. He also nearly drowned in an ice-clogged river. He was at Fort Necessity when it was burned to the ground and all of the people inside were massacred. Survived mm -hmm. that one. I think that was kind of his fault. Yeah, well, yeah. 
<laughs> but he made it out. He made it out. He made it out. Um, mm-hmm. all, the next couple things all happened in the same battle. Uh, two different horses were shot out from beneath him. He was not hit by four bullets, but they passed close enough to him that they could scrape up his clothing. Wow. And I, I phrased that like I had a third thing, but I only actually had two things. But <laughs> Horses <laughs> and bullets, that's, wow. Yeah, that's a lot. One yeah. battle, too, which is, you know, it's like, just yeah, they just couldn't hit him. But the irony is the thing that got him in the end was just a cold. Yeah. Like he got a cold and then um, contracted epiglottitis. Mm-hmm. That's I'm going with that pronunciation. I've, I've never said that word out loud before, but yeah, yeah. you're right. <laughs> Epiglottitis, I think. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. But yeah. It's just a back of the throat infection that you can sometimes get when you get a cold. And now you could just take an antibiotic and be fine. But obviously they didn't have them back then. Mm-hmm. And the the worst part of this is the way his doctors tried to cure him. Because mm. you can like. You can read what they did and you could take the context away from it. Be like, they had a man, they did these things, and I'd be like, oh, they tortured him. Oh, yeah, right. It kind of seems like that. Yeah, they were trying to cure him. So they burned him Mm. to try and see if that would get rid of the illness inside him. And then they drained his blood and the number, the percentage of the blood they drained from that I could find was like 40%. Yeah, that's insane. 80 ounces. Brutal. That's yeah. that's. So I'm pretty sure at this point he knew he was going to die. Mm-hmm. He also had a massive fear of being buried alive. Did yeah. He was convinced it was going to happen, or um, convinced it had happened a million times before him. So he asked them not to bury his body for a full three days after his death, <laughs> just in case. Wow. Just in case. You know what? It was. When did he die? Like better safe than sorry. 18th century, yeah. Like, make sure you're really dead first before you go into the yeah. world. I mean, it still yeah. happens. Oh, still happens. Does it? <laughs> the, in the 21st century? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Oh god, that's horrible. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, so so many times people have um like woken up at their own funerals or in the morgue. Mm-hmm. I don't like that. It's brutal. That's upsetting. Yeah, no, it's yeah. very it's very scary. <laughs> That's awful. So fair enough, George. Fair enough. Yeah. I've gone to his... I went to the vault at Mount Vernon, and it was under construction oh. or renovation, so I couldn't really see it very closely, but there there he is, him and Martha, to this day. I, I gotta check out Mount Vernon. It's cool. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He hath loosed the fateful lightning of his swift and mighty sword. His truth is marching on. Lincoln obviously did not cheat death in the end, but there are some really interesting things about his assassination. I think one is that a couple of months before Edwin Booth, who was John Wilkes Booth's brother, saved Lincoln's son when he fell into some train tracks. He jumped down oh. and helped him up. And, and Did he know his it was son Lincoln's Rob- son? I'm not sure if he knew it was Lincoln's son, but Lincoln's son probably would have recognized him because Edwin Booth was like an actor. He and John Wilkes Booth were right. both actors, so they were like known. And then this story came out like decades later that he had saved him um, shortly before the assassination. But the interesting thing, there's like two really interesting things about the assassination The first is that the Lincolns wanted to invite the Grants, but Julia Grant hated Mary Lincoln 
because Mary <laughs> Lincoln, like, like as, <laughs> as we discussed, was a difficult person to get along with. And Mary Lincoln thought that the Grants were like gunning for the presidency. So at one point, Mary and Julia kind of got into it. And Mary was like, well, you just want to be president. Like, you know, how dare you? Um, so when they when Lincoln invited uh, Ulysses S. Grant to bring his wife to the play, Julia said she didn't want to go. And so Grant made an excuse and said, we can't. <laughs> Sorry, we can't go. Wow. And it's a it's a fascinating like what if of history because if Grant had gone, like would he have brought more soldiers with him? Would there have been right. like more bodyguards? Yeah, that's what was going through my head is like, or would Grant have also just been assassinated as well? Right. Exactly. And and Booth knew that Grant had been invited, it had been advertised. So, you know, yeah, he could have killed both of them. And Grant was, you know, a right. future president. So that would have changed the course of history. Right. Yeah. Or it could have. Yeah. Or like you said, there could have been more guards or one thing could have any. It's the butterfly effect at that point. Like so many things could have gone differently. It is. Um, instead of the Grants, the Lincolns invited this other young couple. It was a Union veteran named Henry Rathbone and his fiance Clara Harris. And when after Booth shot Lincoln, Henry Rathbone like jumped up and like kind of grappled with him, and Booth stabbed him, and then you know famously or infamously jumped from the balcony and escaped. Mm-hmm. But this guy like just had this horrible guilt for the rest of his life, and it sort of really like drove him insane and he eventually he was living in germany with clara years and years later and he murdered her kind of like how the lincoln assassination had gone he had a a gun and a a knife just like booth had and then he spent the rest of his life in an insane asylum oh wow so it like yeah like it broke him to the point where he's like i it totally broke recreating it wow i mean can you imagine like you're there with the president who gets shot next to you and then you aren't able to stop the assassin. Like that's kind of a yeah. That's kind of a especially, lot. Especially when that president's Lincoln. Yeah. Like one of the most influential American presidents of all time. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was interesting. Like after Booth, when Booth was on the run, he thought he was going to be seen as like a hero. But he, he got his hands on some newspapers. And even in the South, people were saying this was like the wrong thing to do. And like the war was basically over at that point, And he had just there wasn't that support. And he was devastated about that. Yeah. So. Just stick to acting. Just stick, stick to what to you're acting. good at. Yeah, too late. Too late for him. John, John Wilkes Booth, take my advice. You know, his grave, acting. which I think is in Maryland, um, people leave pennies because it has Lincoln's face on it. Nice. Well, that was kind of cool. Even in death, there is no peace for John Wilkes Booth. Washington has that his aura is a bit more difficult to like piece apart. So he was alive so long ago and he was so revered during his life. That any history is going to be very or most histories are very favorable. And I guess Lincoln has that, too. But there's a lot more known about his. You know, he has a lot of writing. He gave these speeches that were recorded. People wrote a lot about him after he died. And he had this, you know, just really tragic life with his his sons dying his son dying in the white house in the civil war and all the the guilt of that and the the weight of the civil war i think he's a really fascinating i think there's a reason why historians like love lincoln's because he's just a really fascinating person and i feel like washington like at least for me like he's fascinating but i think lincoln's has a bit more like going on like a bit more you can dig into than washington he's he's harder to get to know yeah i was gonna ask you to to round things out who is your favorite president (laughs) boy people ask me that 
a lot when I say that I like presidents. It's so hard to say because I think like who's the best president? It's probably Lincoln. I find Richard Nixon to be really fascinating because he's so hated. And I'm just interested in that dynamic, I guess. But yeah, I could read I could read about this stuff like all day. I think it's just great. Cool. (laughs) Mine is uh, as someone not well versed in the American history. I'm a strong Teddy Roosevelt man. He's a good one. Yeah. I'm a big, big Teddy. Every time I read something about Teddy Roosevelt, I'm like, yep, that's awesome. He's pretty great. He, uh, yeah, he had an adventurous life. That's for sure. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I want to see next. Hollywood producers. Give me a Teddy yeah. Roosevelt. Be a lot of drama yeah. there up until He's the great. very end. Yeah. I mean, he, what, he got shot and just kept giving a speech. He got shot right before giving a speech right before, and he went on to okay. the speech anyway and his, you probably know this story, but his the bullet was stopped by the speech in his pocket and his glasses and his coat. And so when he got to the speech, his shirt was all bloody and he was he was like, I got shot. He said it, it takes more than that to kill a bull moose and then just talked for 90 minutes. And his aides were like there, like being like, don't fall off the stage. And he didn't. <laughs> That's such a movie moment. I How know. many times in a movie has someone had like a Bible in their or like a, a you know a notebook in their their breast pocket and then it stops a bullet like that is a cliche. There's but a that photo. actually happened to him. Yeah, it was 50 pages That's and awesome. folded. And there's a photo of like where the bullet went through. It's, it's amazing he survived that. But he That's didn't win cool. the election. That... It wasn't enough. <laughs> Even surviving an assassin's bullet wasn't enough to get him over the finish line well, that year. Democracy doesn't always mean, <laughs> you know, with the freedom of choice comes the freedom of messing up. Yeah, they elected Wilson instead. That's all I'll say on that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. Um, Thanks for listening to this episode of History Uncovered. Once again, I'm Austin Harvey. I'm Kalina Fraga. Check us out at allthisinteresting.com, at Real History Uncovered on Mm -hmm. Instagram, and the History Revealed Facebook page. Yeah, send us a message. Tell us how much you love the podcast. (laughs) Give us a rating on Apple and Spotify. I won't beg for five stars, but I would appreciate it. love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring well look no further and join me katie charlwood your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books as i delve into unsolved historical mysteries murders by gaslight and of course women who have been misrepresented through all time on who did what now the history podcast that's not your history class listen wherever you get your podcasts